Greetings. My name is Stan Prager from the Regarp book blog, www.regarp.com. Today's podcast features my review of Charlie Chaplin vs. America, When Art, Sex, and Politics Collided by Scott Eyman. Decades before J. Edgar Hoover's FBI connived for a pretext to deport a wealthy British expat suspected of communist connections who also happened to be an influential world-famous artist, that person was John Lennon, and that attempt ultimately failed. A much younger Hoover and his then cronies mounted a similar but far more effective crusade against an individual who in his time was even more consequential. That man was British-born Charlie Chaplin, Hollywood's first truly global phenomenon, who while not deported, was yet driven into permanent exile. Author and film historian Scott Eyman sets out to tell that story and more in Charlie Chaplin vs. America, When Art, Sex, and Politics Collided, an informative and entertaining, if uneven, portrait of a celebrated figure as devoted to his art as he was indifferent to the enemies he spawned along the way. Seizing upon Chaplin's clash with the authorities over his politics as the focal point of the narrative, the author seeks to distinguish this work from numerous previous chroniclers of its prominent subject with mixed results. Chaplin, both a genius and a giant in the days when cinema was in its infancy, left an indelible mark upon the nascent motion picture industry. In the process, he attracted both critical acclaim and legions of adoring fans, as well as, with equal fervor, the scorn of moralists and the disfavor of those who viewed his brand of social consciousness as a threat to the American way of life. Like the later John Lennon, he was an outsized talent who eschewed convention, dared to take unpopular positions, flaunted a somewhat sybaritic lifestyle, accumulated enormous wealth, and was a legend in his own time. The very ingredients that stoked in alternate audiences parallel passions of adulation and abhorrence. Anti-communism runs deep in the United States, from the Red Scare of the 1920s to the House Un-American Activities Committee, a creature of the Depression era that was reborn with a fury in the post-war period and the related excesses of McCarthyism, a newly continuous stream of panic and paranoia that characterized American culture for decades, that ostensibly aimed to identify enemies foreign and domestic, but instead extra-constitutionally branded certain political thought as a crime. In the process, thousands of Americans and foreign nationals suffered persecution, ostracism, and even imprisonment. A weaker dynamic by Lenin's time, it nevertheless remained a force to be reckoned with for those so victimized. Something of an anachronism, anti-communism yet still echoes into today's politics. One of the faults in Iman's treatment is his failure to place Chaplin's harassment for his alleged political sympathies into this wider context for the reader unfamiliar with its deeper historical roots. Neither Chaplin nor Lenin were members of the Communist Party, but that was almost beside the point for authorities who deemed each as unwelcome, if only for their respective advocacies for a greater social and economic equality, which was seen as sympathetic to communist ideology. And there was a whiff of perceived disloyalty in their demeanors. Lenin was ardently anti-war. Chaplin, who styled himself a peacemonger, was regarded as especially suspect because he never sought U.S. citizenship. Instead, he rallied against nationalism as a root cause of war and imagined himself as a kind of citizen of the world. Alas, Chaplin had the bad fortune to find himself targeted in tumultuous times characterized by a populace both less sophisticated and more docile than in Lenin's day, and he paid for it. Of course, as Iman's book underscores, objections to Chaplin's way of life proved far more damning to him than his actual politics. 
Charles Spencer Chaplin was born in London in 1889 into abject poverty, much like a character out of Dickens. Orphaned by circumstances, if not literally, in his childhood he endured the dehumanizing struggle of the workhouse and for a time lived alone on the streets. His older brother Sidney was to rescue him and helped foster his budding stage presence in sketch comedy that eventually took him across the pond, first to vaudeville and later to Los Angeles, where he made his silent film debut. A master of the art of physical comedy, it was there that he invented the trademark character that would define his career and later cement his celebrity. The Little Tramp, a good-natured, childlike, sometime vagrant, costumed in baggy pants, oversized shoes, and a tiny mustache, that would evolve into an endearing screen icon endowed with a blend of humor and pathos. The Tramp would later serve as the central protagonist for the very first dramatic comedies. Chaplin was a wildly popular overnight sensation, which by 1915 made him, at only 26 years old, one of the highest paid individuals in the world. Just four years later, he joined forces with other leading lights to form United Artists, a revolutionary film distribution company that permitted him to fund and maintain complete creative control over his own productions. UA served as the critical vehicle that enabled Chaplin to write, produce, direct, star in, and even compose the music for a series of films that would make him a legend, including The Kid, The Gold Rush, City Lights, and Modern Times, all featuring the Tramp character. Favoring the subtle artistry of silent films over the talkies that came to dominate motion pictures, Chaplin stubbornly continued to produce silent, or mostly silent, movies long after that format had been largely abandoned by others. Eventually, he moved to talkies with The Great Dictator, a political satire that starred Chaplin in a dual role as a tramp-like character and a farcical persona based upon Hitler. Later, he abandoned the tramp in Monsieur Verdoux and comedy altogether in the semi-autobiographical limelight. In his personal life, Chaplin was a bundle of contradictions. An extremely wealthy but socially conscious man, he was capable of great generosity towards those he favored. But like many who grew up in extreme poverty, he could be stingy as well. It was that childhood abandoned to the streets, according to Iman and other biographers, that informed every aspect of the mature Charlie Chaplin, in his screen persona as well as his private life. A dominating perfectionist on the set, who could be maddening for cast and crew alike with his demands for multiple retakes of the same scene day after day, and productions that could go on for months or even a year, off camera he was moved by the inequalities of unbridled capitalism and the plight of the disadvantaged. He advocated for greater economic equity and against the rise of fascism both on screen and off, which made him seem suspect to the powers that be, which was further exacerbated by clashes with puritanical movie censors that regarded him as openly flirting with immoral themes. That he was friendly with known communists and campaigned to open a second front to benefit the USSR in the wartime alliance against Hitler only heightened those suspicions and led to accusations that Chaplin himself was a communist or fellow traveler. He once received a subpoena to appear before HUAC, but he was never actually called to testify. Physically tiny but handsome and charming, Chaplin was something of a womanizer who was frequently unfaithful and had a string of liaisons, sometimes at leading ladies, as well as a total of four marriages. He favored young women. His first two wives were each only 16 years old when he married them. His fourth wife was 18 and he was 54 when they wed. Other than his infidelities, he seems to have been kind and considerate to his various partners, and he often remained friends and sometimes a financial benefactor to former lovers. 
His third marriage to actress Paulette Goddard ended in divorce, but she then starred in his next film, and they got along amicably for years to come. The notable exception to that rule was his affair circa 1941-42 with the unstable and vindictive Joan Barry, which led to a career-damaging paternity suit for Chaplin. But he was a devoted and faithful husband to his final wife, Una O'Neill, with whom he fathered eight children. They stayed together for 34 years until his death in Switzerland in 1977 at the age of 88. Still, the romantic scandals that dogged him, especially the poisonous courtroom drama that played out publicly in his disputes with Joan Barry, tarnished his reputation and bred a whole coterie of enemies in and out of Hollywood willing to work against him when the FBI set its sights on him as an undesirable alien. As it was, while he championed social justice, Chaplin himself was remarkably apolitical. As the very archetype of the rags-to-riches story, he cited the inherent incongruity of accusing a man who made his fortune via American capitalism of being a communist. But already castigated for his alleged moral turpitude by the doyens of respectable society, as the Cold War dawned and the Soviet Union turned from former ally into existential threat, he was widely denounced by detractors and calls grew for him to be deported. Chaplin's greatest weakness turned out to be his own naivety. When he left for London for the world premiere of Limelight, his re-entry permit was revoked. The grounds for this action were quite tenuous. Had he contested it, it is likely he would have been readmitted. But he was so embittered by this affront that he remained in exile from the United States for the rest of his life, returning only once very briefly in 1972 to accept an honorary Academy Award for the incalculable effect he has had in making motion pictures the art form of this century. The problem with Charlie Chaplin versus America is that despite what may have been his original intentions, it is not completely clear what kind of book Scott Eyman ultimately sent to press after he arrested his pen. The subtitle presumes it to be a chronicle of Chaplin's duel with the established order to avoid banishment, but that theme hardly dominates the plot. On the other hand, there is a wealth of material that hints at what could have been. Much print is devoted to Charlie's childhood struggles on the streets of London, as well as his grand success with the production of The Kid, but there is little connective tissue of points in between, leaving the formative Chaplin mostly conspicuous in its absence. So it cannot be termed an authoritative biography. Likewise, there are sometimes lengthy excursions to focus on a particular movie or a specific film technique, while others are glossed over or ignored, so it cannot be a critical study of Chaplin's filmmaking. It is as if Iman bit off far more than he wanted to chew and ended up uncertain what should be spit out, with some chunks of the account too fat and others too lean. The result is a narrative that is sometimes choppy, with a tendency at times to clumsily slip in and out of chronology, and a penchant in places to fall into extended digressions, including an awkward multi-page interview excerpt with a chaplain associate that might better have been relegated to the back matter of notes or appendix. Still, warts and all, the book never grows dull. The reader may be left unsatisfied, but ever remains engaged. And, to his credit, Iman succeeds superbly in capturing Chaplin's personality, by far the most significant challenge for any biographer. That is in itself a notable achievement, especially with a subject as nuanced as this one. J. Edgar Hoover died in 1972, some 20 years after Chaplin's re-entry permit was denied. John Lennon was ordered out of the country in 1973, but a New York judge reversed the deportation order in 1975. Earlier that same year, HUAC was formally terminated. 
After some quiet years, Lennon was making a musical comeback when he was murdered by a deranged fan in 1980. He was only 40 years old. By then, Chaplin had been dead for three years, at a ripe old age, but his creative juices had never really flowed the same way in exile. He made two additional films abroad, but neither lived up to his earlier triumphs. Charlie Chaplin could be the most famous movie star in history, whose films most Americans alive today have never seen, largely because even in my 1960s boyhood, when Chaplin still walked the earth, and when most broadcasts outside of primetime were devoted to old movies, silent films were already long passé, and most of his greatest films were silence. With that in mind, along with reading Iman's book, I screened several Chaplin films, The Kid, City Lights, Modern Times, and The Great Dictator. I am neither film critic nor film historian, but I consider myself something of a film geek, and I confess that I was blown away by Chaplin's brilliance in both The Kid and City Lights. While I can understand and appreciate its message and its impact upon release, I found The Great Dictator dated, overly long, and less entertaining. But I would judge modern times as not only magnificent, but so extraordinarily timely with its themes of technological oppression, automation, corporate capitalism, threats to individuality, and loss of privacy that it belongs as much to 2023 as it did to 1936. If there is a fault to be found in any of these efforts, it is that Chaplin's absolute creative control denied him the editorial input that was warranted on occasion. There are slapstick bits, for instance, that while hilarious yet go on interminably. Someone needed to yell, cut! Even a genius, as Chaplin indubitably was, needs an editor. So too, in my opinion, does Scott Eyman, a talented and prolific writer who has authored numerous biographies of stars who once peopled the golden age of Hollywood, Eyman's prior accolades could very well be the reason that someone with a sharp red pen did not have the authority to carve out the potentially great book that lay within that sheaf of pages that went to print. Thank you for joining me for today's podcast. I encourage you to share it in your network. Many more reviews on an eclectic array of fiction and nonfiction books are available at regarp.com and regarpbookblogpod.com. Have a great day.